G'day everyone, welcome to the Outback Packers podcast, the podcast where two mates from all the way across the world have a yarn talking Packers football and the green and gold. I'm Nick Gregory, joined by my co-host Joe Pearson as always, and this week we try, keyword try, to recover from the trauma of the Packers crushing defeat at the hands of the New York Giants. So before we get to that, let's just take a step back, take a step back from the rough Sunday we've had. And look at the rest of the NFC. As always, weekly catch-up. It's... I feel like the story of this season is really just inconsistency. You know, it's like you see a lot of these teams that you think they're supposed to be good. You think they're supposed to be bad. And yet they they surprise you every single week. It's something a little different. Something goes a little bit awry, you know, maybe it's just one or two plays a game. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's just as simple as a quarterback going out. But this season really feels like it's the start of a power shift in the NFL. And it's, it's, it's really, it's really awesome in some ways. I mean, it sucks for us um, considering we're part of the older guard of NFL teams and, you know, we've been in kind of been in power for so long, but Watching some of these younger players step up and things start to finally change in the new decade, it's really awesome. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, I don't know if I would call it inconsistency more as like a a reshuffling. Because like you said, a lot of these teams are are hitting on their drafts and the new players are coming in and making a difference. salary caps obviously this year the salary cap jumped quite a bit compared to what it was last year after the covid hit year so teams were able to make more maneuvers in the off season you're getting some new head coaching blood in there some younger guys doing some uh, amazing things right now i mean you even take a look at minnesota with the guy that they have uh kevin o'connell he there's been a shift so i i don't know like i said if you'd call it inconsistency or if you would just call it a reshuffling because a lot of these divisions are what were the doghouse divisions are now the powerhouse divisions so the nl or the nl i'm thinking baseball baseball season is still going on the playoffs so my mind is kind of caught between the NFL and the, <laughs> and the MLB right now. But the NFC East, who would have thought, you know, the top three teams would be coming out of the NFC East? I know we've talked about this a lot the last few episodes, but it, it, it's hard not to win. Like you said, you're seeing teams that we thought were going to be good do not good. And teams that we thought that were not going to be good are good. I I mean, I even said it uh, a couple episodes ago. I didn't think Cooper Rush was going to be able to leave the Dallas Cowboys to anything. (laughs) And right now they're, what, sitting at 3-1, and and 4-1? And he's won three games. So who would have thought this kid would have done anything and it, and I understand that Dallas is being led more by their defense than anything but you know still you got to produce some offense as a Hawkeye fan I know that wholeheartedly 
defense doesn't always win you a game. Um, so, yeah, this reshuffling has really, really made things weird in the NFL. Yeah, and something that I always find really interesting every season is what players kind of come out of the woodwork and either they're getting you know starting opportunity for the first time or maybe it's a rookie that's finally kind of stepping out of that slump or maybe it's a coaching change. I mean, the, the, the prime example this season is Geno Smith. This yeah. is a guy who is who is basically a career backup, you know, more or less a career shit kicker. And through no fault of his own, really. I mean, like, he, Whoa, he, he never really got a, a lot back? of his... <laughs> Was that a I... complete Aussie term right there? Shit kicker? <laughs> <laughs> have, you not, have you not heard that one? No, that, that one's one a new one for me, a shit kicker. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Jenna Smith, you know, I'm sure some, he probably wasn't the best player in the world earlier in his career, but he never really saw a lot of those opportunities and an opportunity to start for a team, you know, in lieu of Russell Wilson, who is not looking too hot himself. Um, Geno Smith is legitimately looking like a top three quarterback right now. And who knows how long that's going to last. Um, odds are that probably not very long, but we should really enjoy it while we can. You know, I think um, it's, it's always hard to crown a new player as like very good at the position when you don't know them that well. But I think, prime example, like last year, Devondre Campbell, no one, you know, would have thought that he would have become an all-pro at the start of the season. And, you know, as they as these players rack up more and more good performances over the course of the season, it, you know, kind of confirms that notion. And I think as we go on through the season, the, the way that Gino is playing, it's not, he's not getting, you know, some easy cop out through, through the coaching staff and granted he has good receivers, but are you seeing some of these throws that he's making? Like, this is not, this is not just a subject or, you know, this is not just a, um, a symptom of him being in a really good, easy position. He's, he's, he's legitimately balling out. And he's, it's one of my favorite storylines to watch in the NFL at the moment. While you were talking, I've been sitting here trying to remember when he got drafted. I think he was supposed to be a first round quarterback or the, hype was he was going to be a first round quarterback and he fell to the second round and I think he went to the Jets and he was not good not yeah. good at all but yeah it's crazy to see him have a, a turnaround in his career I'm happy for him I, I think it sucks that he's had it with the Seahawks because I, as a diehard Packer fan, I, I can't handle seeing the Seahawks do anything worthwhile. I was kind of hoping to see them be the bottom feeders, but <laughs> I, it's strange. And we've had stuff like this happen in the past. You know, I'm trying to remember uh, the the Steelers had Tommy Maddox. You know, he. He was one of he ran the same career path kind of like Gino did, and he put up a couple of good years in Pittsburgh after having a horrid start to his career. Um, and and I mean, you take a look at like Matt Flynn, he wasn't he was somebody who wasn't heavily touted. But yet he stepped in and had good seasons 
or I mean, good games, and then went on to have nothing. So, I mean, it's weird how these counterbalances happen, if you understand what I'm trying to, my convoluted (laughs) point. (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, I think when when someone like, when Mahomes first kind of came onto the scene, I don't think anyone really expected him to kind of maintain that level of, like, sheer absurdity. You know, and look where he is now. And like, I'm not saying that Geno Smith is going to be Mahomes or he's going to, you know, be the the most elite quarterback in the NFL, blah blah blah. But um, you know, while it's this season, while he's still hot, I think it's a joy to watch, and it's uh, one of the most kind of fun offenses to watch in the NFL. It with Mahomes, it was one of those things that I don't think it. If I remember the draft that year right, and I, I remember some of it, but not a lot. Uh, when his name kept coming up because he was projected to be a first round guy. They just, it was going to be kind of where he was taken late in the first round, but he was talked about as being the gunslinger. And I hate to bring up this name because of the stuff that's going on with him right now, but he was supposed to be in the similar boat to Brett Favre, where he was either going to win you the game or lose you the game. Yeah. You know, he was going to, th- he had a hell of an arm on him. He could put it wherever he wanted to put it. He, well, I guess they did say he had some, uh, struggle with accuracy on the deep ball, but he could wing it pretty much anywhere, but it was either going to win you the game or lose you the game. He was either going to throw the game winning touchdown or throw the game losing interception. And yeah. you can still kind of see it in this game, but I think he ended up in a good situation, kind of similar, again, to the Favre-Rogers situation where he came in, he wasn't relied on to be the starter for that the his rookie season. He got to learn behind Alex Smith. He got to learn from Andy Reid. So, I mean, it, it is. There's, it's, there's a lot of that kind of thing. You take a look at some of these young quarterbacks where you wish they would have had a chance to sit behind somebody for, you know, a year or two. I, I'm looking at Pittsburgh right now with Kenny Pickett. You know, the only quarterback taken in the first round this year. And he's not he's getting forced into it because, you know, they had Trubisky, which is another one that you can say was forced into a starting role when maybe he shouldn't have been. It, it's a struggle. The draft has always been a crapshoot. You can base it off what they did in college, but if you don't put it together in the NFL, your college stuff means nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's with like getting a little bit off topic here, but I think like with quarterbacks in general, it's just so hard to evaluate them, you know. And, you know, some of these guys can hit the ground running in their rookie season very rarely, obviously, but some of these guys. Or, you know, like maybe they need a little bit of time to kind of sit back or maybe, you know, they start in a year where they're not expected to be amazing. And so it's kind of okay if they're, you know, making mistakes and they're, they, they're not playing to win games. They're playing to just be a better team. You know, they're not, they're not, obviously not every team is realistically aiming for the Super Bowl. And that's okay. Like, I think I, like, that's why I find someone like Trey Lance is in a very difficult situation because, the, expect- the expectation is that he's going to be a very good quarterback and that he, I mean, same for every quarterback. You expect they're going to be good, but someone like Trey Lance, he he's the thing that is going to set that team off. 
when he comes back next year. You know, that's that's what's going to get them over that hump. Um, and I think it's very difficult to be in a position like that. You know, someone like Trevor Lawrence, who is the first overall pick, and they have the whole entire weight of the franchise riding on them. And he's handling it, you know, relatively well. But, you know, it's really interesting, I guess, because it's not very common for quarterbacks to sit for a year anymore. Um, and it's not really a luxury a lot of teams have playing that far ahead. And, you know, I, for me personally, I'm still a bit of a, a Jordan Love believer. Deep down inside, I still think that he can be something. So, you know, if so Aaron does... you're a up... lover. <laughs> <laughs> Love prevails. Love prevails. <laughs> I think um, I honestly think you know he deserves his own chance, and I think I hope it's on this team in some, you know, some form. But I mean, we'll see. But um, yeah, moving on to I mean the team of this quarterback we've just talked about, the game of the week outside of the Packers, something a little bit uh, a little bit more, a little bit more easy to watch from the outside in, perhaps. I guess not so easy watching MVS and Devontae Adams, the Raiders versus Chiefs, both leading receivers for the teams, um, leading both teams in yardage and, you know, two guys that the Packers let go. It's a little bit heartbreaking to watch them, to, to watch them playing so well for other teams. But um, it's a lot easier when, <laughs> when your team isn't the one that's being demolished out there. Yeah. 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 I get what you're saying. I, I've always felt that I don't think MVS wanted to be in Green Bay. I, I know he said different, really? but just just somewhat of his mannerisms, or if you've ever watched him on some of like the podcasts or the like the YouTube shows that he would be on, he just never seemed interested. Now I don't know if that's just because he's more of a shy guy, and isn't good in front of a camera. So, and I, I've not seen how he's been in Kansas city, but I just, something about him never seemed like he wanted to be in green Bay, but that was, that's just my opinion. He could have loved it or whatever. Now Devonte, I know loved it. It just circumstances were, he wanted to go play with Derek Carr as former college quarterback and friend and you know i i i kind of think he's regretting the decision right now um <laughs> in some ways maybe yeah we're seeing a lot of uncharacteristic things come from Devonte, and to kind of segue into our next point he did not have a very good moment in tonight's game or after tonight's game, I think it was towards the end of the game. I didn't get to watch it, but I, I, I have seen the clip flying around uh, Twitter a lot. And Devontae kind of took some frustration out on a camera guy and shoved him to the ground. I, I know he's come out and apologized for it, and that's great, but it's still not something you want to see from a guy who is the top receiver in the league and who is normally a nice guy um kind of to rub it into a lot of people's faces i've met Devonte a couple different times and he's been really nothing but yeah yeah i never knew that he's he uh as some people may know i would go up to training camp and that and i'm a big <laughs> autograph collector and um yeah i met Devonte 
obviously I couldn't do, you know, talk to him much at training camp outside the gates and whatever. It was usually a real quick autograph and then, you know, Hey, have a good day, whatever. And he would be inside. But there was one year that I went to a game and I think it was the chargers game in 2015. And it was just me and one other guy sitting outside the fence of the player parking lot outside of Lambo, and uh, he was walking to Lambo, coming either from break or they were going in for morning meetings or whatever. And uh, the guy, the kid I was standing with, hollered for him, and Devonte kind of gave us a wave and or a nod. So we were like, okay, well, he's just going in the meeting and, you know, whatever, no big deal. He doesn't feel like signing today. And within five minutes, next thing we know, he's coming back out and sitting there and signing and he sat and talked with us for a bit. And uh, so I never got the, I never got the feeling that he was somebody that could, I mean, obviously, when you're in the heat of the moment, you're in the game, you just come off from a big, I guess you can call it battle, something like this could happen. But it it's, doesn't seem like something Devontae would be doing. So, I, like I said, I know he apologized for it, it but it's still it's going to make its rounds and people are going to call him out for it. Sorry, that was a yeah. long story ramble. <laughs> No, that was good. I, I never knew that. And obviously, me being all the way over here, I've never interacted with the player. So that's really awesome, dude. Um, Yeah, that's sick. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's something pretty uncharacteristic of Devante. And I think I think he knows that. You know, he, he yeah, as you said, he, he apologized to, to the reporter, both in person and, you know, that obviously he commented on Twitter. Um, yeah, it's just like indicative, really, of the, the kind of the struggles this team is going through, the Raiders. Um, I think ultimately he's going to be happy with the decision. You know, his family is all there and all that kind of stuff, but it's tough. You know, this is a guy who um, in the past three years has lost nine games total and the Raiders are already lost or lost four this year. You know, (laughs) it's, um, he's not used to that and it's frustrating when this is a team that was supposed to be on the up and like, you know, Devante Adams, he makes a living off of being wide open every single play, just about. And you got Derek Carr. I, I, I was a big Derek Carr believer, but he, his arm strength is just so lacking, dude. Like you see that 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 first touchdown catch that he got, and he's he's open by like fifteen yards, just about. And by the time that Carr's you know little wobbly ball finally makes its way over that side of the field. Like, Devante has to slow down and wait for a good second a bit. Like it's ridiculous. Like you know, it's it's a it's, he probably doesn't it probably appreciates Rogers a lot more now that he's gone. <laughs> right, and I mean you can tell in some of his press conferences so far this year that he looks like he's checked out or he's uninterested, and you know it's got to be hard. You know, like you said, he's he comes from uh, teams that aren't. I don't want to say losers, but they don't lose a lot of games. Yeah. And now he's with a team that can't seem to win any games. So it's something to keep an eye on the rest of the season. Not saying he's going to be able to get out of it because he signed a, a very big contract out there. Yeah. But 
you know, it makes you wonder what's going to happen in the next couple of years. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, it's this, this game as a whole, you know, it kind of just affirms that the AFC is, you know, it's continually, continu- continuing to be a bit of a bloodbath. I um, mean, you know, Mahomes, you know, the Chiefs, they have struggled a bit, but at the end of the day, this is still a very good team, a very well coached team. And now, through what's the, you know what's this uh, coming on f- almost five years of Mahomes, four years, five years of Mahomes, a team that has experience being together now. You know, this is a team that has solidified itself. And you know, while they might, as we talked about before, be a bit little, a little bit inconsistent at times, they're a team that knows their identity. They know what they want to go back to, even without Tyreek. They have Travis Kelsey there, and they have Mahomes there, and they have a good O line, and have an aggressive blitzing defense. You know, they know who they want to be, and it's you know I'm thankful that we're not in the same conference as them because it is scary sometimes just seeing how consistently and how how well they kind of maintain that identity throughout the course of a season. Um, and yeah, yeah, seeing MVS is is a bit of a heartbreaker on that. Uh, you know, seeing him have success, I. It's good, you know. I when he was on the Packers, he was my favorite player, straight up. MBS was my favorite player, and watching him go from this, you know, kind of shy, timid rookie who was just putting his head down and trying to be his best, and you know, getting ragged on in his second year, and go getting sent death threats, which is absolutely ridiculous, and you know, eventually flourishing into this really, really good receiver who unfortunately was injured for a lot of his last season, but I. I was, yeah, I, I wanted them to extend MVS over Lazard. Whether or not that would have been the right choice remains to be seen. But you know, I I, I love MVS, and I'm I'm happy for him getting such a, a, a big role because I think he deserves to at least show that and at least have the opportunity to do that. It was a little bit easier to keep Lazard than it was MVS because Lazard was tagged. He yeah. was the uh, yeah. restricted free agent tag, whereas. MVS was wanting straight up cash and he was wanting the 10 mil a year. And that was a little bit hard to fit in considering the Packers were having to do a lot of cost cutting. So yeah. Do I wish MVS was still on the team kind of, because that would at least been another veteran type guy in the receiver room. Was I wanting him at the $10 million mark? No, I don't think he's a $10 million receiver. But with the way receivers are getting paid right now, it it's only going up. So, well, that's it, right? Yeah. yeah. No. The, the average price of a receiver is just, I think we, we kind of, we saw this offseason, we're going kind of through a bit of an inflation of uh, receiver receiver salaries and you know i think we're kind of in a bubble at the moment where they're getting so high that eventually they're going to like normalize but at the moment 10 mil for what he does and what he can do in a, in a larger role i think is probably just about where he is at, at market value and i would have been happy to have him back on this team at 10 million but like you said with the mechanics of everything else it's um difficult to manage yeah um, but the sad thing or the the sad truth is had we kept MVS, your other favorite receiver probably wouldn't be on the team because they wouldn't have drafted Christian Watson. I almost guarantee that. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough. I mean, they, he drafted Watson to do that role. Um, but yeah, moving on to something, you know, moving on from this sentimental moment we both shared here, very emotional, very sweet. 
I um, shed a tear. Let's let's get let's get to the what the thing that we've been dreading. Um, this game, uh, we all know what went down: Packers versus Giants in London. What should have been, I hate to say, an easy game, but it shouldn't have been this difficult, man. Like we had so much going for us. We dominated the first half. I mean. It was practically a home game. It was louder than Lambeau Field gets sometimes. I mean, did you, you see know the what crowd I blame? in London? You know what I blame? What do you blame? I blame London. <laughs> the fans were great, but none of the players wanted to be in London. Not that it's not, a. am assuming, a good place to be because I've never been. But there was something about it where the players and even LeFleur didn't want to go to London. And I... I don't know. I, obviously, the team didn't show up. They may have been there physically, but they definitely were not there mentally. But mm. London, it's all your fault. Yeah, I'm see, sorry. no, it's not. I, I got some <laughs> friends over there, and, and Pete, Rich, you know, I, I don't blame you. I love you guys. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think it's so hard to say because I would say the exact same thing if they didn't totally destroy them in the first half <laughs> if, they, if they weren't in, in full control of this game to start off with i would totally have been you know yeah they, they just didn't want to be there you know there was just a motivation thing but they had they had the game in their hands man like they they were up by but two what have we scores. talked about the last few weeks they've only well, played exactly. a half of a football and, exactly. and and it's getting tiring we are, I, i'm using the royal we obviously i've never suited up for the packers <laughs> and whatever but we can not survive in the nfl playing half a game some of it mm -hmm. hasn't even been half a game it's been a quarter of a game yeah there's no way you're gonna win in the nfl like that and now you're starting to see a lot of the players frustrations with this stuff yeah. And I, I know we're trying to keep time short, but I've got a lot of rants that I'm going to go on if, if it, when it comes up to it, because this stuff is, it, it's getting ridiculous. You know, we've got, I, I don't know if he's the highest paid right now, but he was at one time the highest paid quarterback in the league, the, the he's reigning yeah. MVP, you know, we've got top paid guys all over the mm -hmm. field and we can't even coexist. Yeah. What I'm speechless at it because we were all looking forward to seeing the Packers coming into the year because it looked like we were actually going to have a defense. The offense we knew was going to have some rocky moments, but, you know, we were pretty excited about what we were going to see out of these young guys. You know, obviously, like I said, we have the reigning MVP at quarterback. We had question marks on the O line, which seemed to be. You know, the question marks aren't there anymore because Bach is starting to come back and play. Jenkins actually held up pretty decent this game. You know, of course, mm -hmm. you still got the revolving door in Newman. But, you know, the offensive line wasn't as big a question mark as we thought it was going to be. The running game, we never had a question mark on. But here we go again. We're at week, what was this game, week five? And they're still underutilizing the running backs. I, I really don't understand what's going on right now. Are they all deflated? Do they not want to win this year? I mean, 
<laughs> I, I don't understand it. Is this a big conspiracy so they could get a high draft pick next year? Are they tanking? I mean, I wouldn't think they would be, but the way they've been playing, it makes you wonder. Yeah, look, I'll, I'll, I'll preface this and everything that I say from this point, I'll preface this by saying that I'm always going to be that guy who is patient and I'm going to wait and I'm, going, I'm not going to overreact to a bad loss, which this was. Um, I'm, you know, I, I, I still think that is hope for this team to become and grow into that role of a, a serious playoff team. Um, you know, I, I don't think this guy is necessarily falling down but we're definitely like definitely waiting for it. I think it's it's just, <laughs> it's getting pretty ridiculous. Uh, as you said, every single week it's just the same issues. And I love Matt Lafleur, but every single week it's the same excuses. Oh, you know we didn't run the ball enough. Yeah, we, we definitely got to do that more. And so they give uh, Aaron Jones thirteen carries in the game. <laughs> you know, it's, or the it's, it's, you know I, I we just need to execute our game plan a little bit better i if i hear yeah. execute one more time i think i'm gonna punch somebody i think and like he's not wrong when he says these things like i'm i'm sure that in the game it's so much harder and like I, as we talk more about this I'll, I'll talk more about this as well like i think that a lot of the plan that they had for this game was actually reasonable and understandable but it's just like the fact that even you're the head coach of this team and you're not taking control of the defense Everyone knows that you need to be playing more man defense, and I've defended Joe Barry on this on this podcast before, but I'm fucking sick of it too. Like this, you need to like as you say, you know, someone needs to take control of this locker room. Someone needs to, like I said about the Chiefs, you need to figure out what the the identity of this team is. And just fucking do it. <laughs> you can't keep flip flopping and like you know letting Joe Barry do what he wants over there in the corner and you know you try to make things nice and easy for Aaron and he just ignores you and you know like Versace is doing a good job but you need to assert what exactly you want from this team and you need to figure out how you want the identity and the shape of the of the play skill sets and the team and the scheme to revolve around that and move in some kind of consistent direction this this feels like we're kind of floundering and this not really working as a team. We're less than the sum of our parts. And like on offense, especially sure, there's going to be growing pains, but do you like, you just need to see some kind of like positive like direction, you know? Well, it's, and some of the quotes that I've been seeing lately makes you wonder if Barry's not taking any input from his players. And the reason I question that is, and I don't know if this is truthful. Obviously, we don't have any insider information. We don't have any connections to 1265 Lombardi Avenue as much as I wish we did. But supposedly <laughs> I read something that, you know, Darnell Savage wants to play that star position that they're always talking about. Just be the rover like Charles Woodson did and whatever. But Barry just keeps sending them deep. You know, uh, uh, Razul is not a slot corner. He, he's really struggling at that slot corner position, but yet they keep throwing him out there. Even though I, when Jair was injured, they put Razul on the, on the outside, and he was playing well. But no, we got to throw him back at the slot corner. I, it, it's I, I don't know. I, like I said, it's like Barry's in his own little world – 
and he's not taking any criticism from his players. He's just doing whatever the hell he wants to do. I, I'm at, I'm to the point where Barry needs to relinquish the play calling duties for the uh, defense. He can stick around and be a coordinator for like the linebackers. Cause he is a damn good linebacker coach, but let Jerry Gray or somebody call a defense or whatever, because it's pretty obvious that Joe Barry can't do it. And I even am backtracking what I've said last year, where I thought maybe we needed to apologize to Barry because he was actually putting together decent defenses compared to what we had under Patton. And now we're back to what we had under Patton. So I, I don't know what needs to be done, but it needs to be done soon. And and I want to kind of go back to something you said where you're you never want to be you want to be more patient with the team. I I try to be patient with the team, but when you're seeing the same mistakes week in and week out and nothing's being done about it. I mean, how many times were we going to get killed on crosser routes? Yeah, I, I um, mean, it's really 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 ridiculous. Um Sorry to interrupt, but Mike Renner had that put up that stat uh, yesterday that the Packers defense, passing defense, they have the second least passing yards given up in the whole league, but they have the most yards given up on crossing routes in the league by far. I think uh, almost like just over two thirds of all the yards they've given up have been on crossing routes. Just so ridiculous. How many games in a row does this have to happen before something has to change? Well, that's what I mean. I, is is Barry an actual defensive coordinator or is he just a coach? And I know that <laughs> kind of sounds weird for me to say, but I, I did see this quote on Twitter and I'm sorry for not citing my quotes because I have a horrible memory on this shit, but they said that Barry seems to be somebody who can't come up with his own scheme. He can just, teach somebody else's scheme and the more you watch these games the more you understand what they mean by that that he can't make in-game adjustments he can only go by what's on his or in his playbook so like i said i i know we have jerry gray on the team and he's had his run as a defensive coordinator in the past maybe we need to do some change up on coaching duties you know let him start calling some plays so i i don't know but like i keep repeating something has to change yeah i i, I hate to play the the what about game I'm, I'm not that kind of person who's like oh yeah we could have done this could have done that but it, it really hurts seeing edgerow everett the defensive coordinator of the broncos who we had in our hiring cycle and who obviously caught the eye of nathaniel hackett now that he's over there He's put up, I think, by DVOA, the the eighth best defense in the league, and <laughs> it's it's painful. Like it really, it's just. I again, I have faith that it will eventually get you know better, but I don't, I don't think that we're gonna be consistently a top ten defense by the end of the year, and you know, like there's they to me it just comes down to this whole thing about identity. Like they don't know what exactly they're hanging their hat on and of course you know they want to limit the big plays that's like their thing but 
you know, last year it was the tackling. You know, even if we if, if, if a player catches a ball, everyone else is around them swarming to the point the point of the catch, and you have like two three guys tackling the player. And this year we're not even tackling all that well as we have been last, as we did last year. You know, we're we're kind of we're sticking to this like this soft zone these soft zone coverages, which I, I generally don't use this term, but these soft zone coverages that where they're playing off so far and they don't allow the players to do what they're good at. And every single team in the league plays mostly zone. That's a, that's a fact that teams play mostly zone. Even the most man-heavy teams play mostly zone. But the fact that we're just not even trying to do it, we have, like, there's no excuses anymore. Like, we have Jair, we have Rasul, we have Stokes. We have these guys that we know... Uh, are good at playing man coverage and like you said i think that that, that thing that you were saying about daniel savage was from from last year actually when, when joe barry was first hired he, he wanted to be the star when, when joe barry was, was first came on as the defensive coordinator um i think that in a limited capacity savage could be really good in that that underneath role you know that, that robber role middle field kind of covering those the faster smaller guys inside not not attempting to block like Mark Andrews or whatever, like, you know, not attempting to block these tight ends, but someone, you know, he, he can kind of take away that middle of the field crossing routes, you know, someone who can, who can he can do that. Rasul can, can play, you know, the deep, deep half, or, you know, if even Jaya can play the deep half, not, not, not full time, but something to just kind of play a little bit more to these players' strengths and just hide some of the weaknesses, you know, like we have so many, so many good players on this defense. There is, there is an arrangement of them that is best for everyone. And I don't think we're seeing that. And I don't think the scheme is playing to the best of their abilities. If we had corners who excelled in zone, you know, if we had like, if we had three Marcus Peters <laughs> on our team and we could just drop back, drop back and you know, do that kind of like deep shell every single play, someone who can, who can like, like who can get back and watch the quarterback and that's like their thing if we had that you know that is fine but we have players who can dominate people physically who are fast who are twitchy who are like long you know we can we we, we have the ability to do this we're just not doing it as much as we should be well you know what the sad thing is is the packers actually have had two guys on their team that are terrific zone players one hasn't been on the team for a bit but he should still be on the My team God. and the other one was on the team but at the it seems like at the wrong time and that's uh uh josh jackson um both guys come from iowa and iowa runs a very very zone heavy defense and Josh Jackson, I think, could have been a completely different player had he been in the Joe Barry heavy zone defense instead of the press type guy in the Petten defense. I mean, we'll never know now. Obviously, he's bounced around so much that it, it doesn't matter. But yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree with you. And I, and I know that I've seen some people talk about how Razul has actually taken some snaps as a safety also. So that could be another thing to put out there. Um, I, and I agree. 
these guys are man press corners. They have the speed to be man press corners. I mean, hell, Eric Stokes runs a four two one forty. That's lightning speed. That puts him up right there yeah. with like Tyreek Hill and Miko Hardman and and yes, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's lightning friggin' in a bottle. It doesn't do him any good to be that fast when he's in zone. Because he's he he's just got one area to cover, and you know, okay, well, I'm going to pass this guy off to this, you know, the, to the safety. So I'm stuck here. Oops! Now I got to run after him. Well, you know, that doesn't do good, or do you any good to run after him after he's already made the catch? Press man, knock the receiver on his ass, do whatever you have to in that first five yards you get, and then if you get beat, you have the speed to chase him down. If not, you've made a play. That's one thing I've noticed with the Packers defense the last few years, even a little bit before Barry. Where are the interceptions? Outside of Razul mm. last year, the interceptions are hardly there. Yeah, I mean, they all had, had a ton of pass defenses, but there's not a lot of interceptions in their game. I, so, I mean, I, I don't – Obviously, I'm not a coach. Neither one of us are coaches. Neither one of us are coordinators. You know, we've never been in the NFL, so we don't know what's going on behind the scenes or how what it takes to build this stuff up. But being the armchair guys that we are, if we can see it, there should be no reason for a guy getting paid millions of dollars not to see it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it is it's exhausting at this point, and I I, I yeah I th- I I have faith that things will improve slightly. I'm just not sure to what degree, you know. Um, well, I think yeah, we I, beat a dead horse. We might as well just move on because if not, I'm just gonna continue to ride on this high horse of mine and <laughs> yeah i think we've kind of covered a lot of the stuff i mean especially defensive wise what we want to talk about so if you want to touch on a few of the a few of the positives the ones that, that exist were there any <laughs> um i think i just want to talk about my like my thing as always the o-line these guys you know perhaps because it kind of almost a little bit the inverse of what we're used to. These guys are actually a lot better at run run blocking than they have been traditionally as a, a Packers O-line, but they're struggling a little bit to hold up on passing downs. And you can really see that in the, the, the carries that Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon did get. You know, Aaron had 13 carries, 63 yards, 4.8 average. And AJ Dillon, six carries for 34 yards, 5.7 yards per carry. Those are good numbers. Um, I think a lot of it does come down to, you know, favorable situations at times. But, you know, these guys are blocking really well. And um, Elton, Some he was struggling. Them. Royce Newman is a good run blocker. I know you don't like him, but he is a good run blocker. He, he can't pass block consistently well, but he, he, he gets pushed. Josh well, Myers. listen to yourself. <laughs> listen to yourself. You just praised Royce Newman for being a good run blocker, but a horrible pass blocker, but you ripped the hell out of uh, uh, Hanson, um, Jake Hanson, and they're basically the same player. They no, can't but pass Han- protect Hanson, 
Hansen is so much worse than Royce Newman. And Royce they Newman can't pass is... protect for nothing, but they can run protect. Now, R- now Royce Newman gets gonna... so much of a bad rap. <laughs> if you're going to rip on one, you got to rip on the other. You can't play favorites on this team. Because I think the thing is, with, with Royce Newman, when he, he's around good players like John Runyon you just and love Jenkins, bullets. <laughs> it's it's an Australian thing. <laughs> <laughs> but like when when Royce Newman, you know, some of the pass blocking reps he has are ugly. Last year, especially, you know, giving up those um those stunts, it's ugly. But at the end of the day, he's he's just like an average pass protector, and that's fine. You know, he's average, maybe slightly below, and that's like that's it's not ideal. Obviously, you, you want more, but it's like if for the, if that's if that's the worst player on your on your O line, it's fine. And he is a good run blocker. He's a physical dude. He's a strong guy, and I, yeah, I think he has he has so much room to improve. I had a lot of faith in him. I, I think I've, I've said this before, but I, I had a lot of faith in him when he was drafted. And maybe he never becomes you know that elite at both player, but that's fine. I, like, like, we, I, like we, the Packers have so much have so much like luxury on this O line. The fact that we're we're practically too deep at every position, it's like such a luxury. You know, I mean, you, you know, you look, look across the league. Like something like the Rams, dude. The Rams have no one on that line, you know. Like they, 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 they probably couldn't even block it in practice squad line blackout backers. It's just, yeah, we're we're very, they're very, very fortunate that that this is the guy that we have as our worst O line. Um, but yeah, that's that's the last I'll, I'll say about my my guy Royce Newman. He doesn't deserve that. Yeah, but but you know. We've also got a guy with two first names sitting behind him that showed that he could probably be a better option. Sean Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Zach Tom could probably slot in there and play a hell of a lot better than what Royce Newman is right now. So... Yeah, I, I just think that um, Royce is, is probably a little bit more stout like at the contact point when it comes to facing these bigger guys. Zach Tom's a, good, a great mover. Um Kind of like similar, I guess, in some ways to Josh Myers. I think Josh Myers, obviously, very physical guy as well, but Josh is a guy that can move really well in space, and he can. He's very good at like, like in that kind of zone blocking role, where he can he can shift, he can get a really good angle, and like he can get his whole body around. He's not necessarily like picking guys up and throwing them, you know, like Larry Allen style. Um, but I think yeah, it's just kind of like he's he's, not, he's like Royce is a little bit different to what a lot of traditional Packers O-linemen have been when they've been drafted. Um, he sucks. <laughs> oh, oh, you're killing me. <laughs> um, and the, the, other, the other thing that I want to uh, cover is, obviously, Randall Cobb had a fantastic game. Um, he, you know, he's, 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 he's in his old age, in his twilight years. He still has a Don't place say in his that. team. I'm still, like, four <laughs> years older than Randall Cobb, so if he's in I mean, his twilight years, I'd hate to what you think what you guys what i'd hate to know what you think of what i'm at <laughs> now you're still in your prime it's fine <laughs> yeah sure i don't feel it um and then the, the one thing that i think has been a little bit understated um is this the last thing i'll say is this this interior rushing defense like i think you see like especially in the first half you know a lot of these runs that were attempted straight through Packers d-line didn't go anywhere TJ Slayton, like had God, probably that guy his out there? best game ever as a pro dude. He was fantastic, game. and if you I don't know if you noticed, but especially towards the second half of the game, Kenny barely played nose tackle. 
it was more it was a lot of Slayton covering up that the the, the middle gaps and Kenny playing on the end or a little bit off. Now, now think I, back a little bit. Think think back a little bit. I know we've only had a few episodes, but you know, think back. Didn't I say that? Yeah. <laughs> Didn't I say move Slayton into the middle and let Kenny and Jerron feed off the edge? Totally agree. Um, yeah, no, because I mean, because Slayton was always that it was always that nose tackle guy. He's a big dude. He's basically like Gilbert Brown, die Gilbert Brown. You know, he's a big dude. When the Packers drafted him, the first thing that came to mind was Gilbert Brown, and yeah. the reason I said that is because they were both mountain of men. And if they could keep their weight steady, they were going to be a hell of a player. But yeah. the big issue were, with both of them was they tended to enjoy one too many grave digger bur- burgers, and the weight would just keep piling on. And but you know if they stayed in shape and they kept at a decent weight, they they were going to be unstoppable. And like I said, I, I did call it. You know, if you put them in the middle, you let Kenny and Jerron feast off the edges. And they really did. Now, the one thing that I have to say that's kind of amazing to me, and I don't, and obviously none of us know the story behind it, Devontae Wyatt was inactive this game. And when he has played, he's played very little snaps. And that's not something you want to see out of a guy that was drafted in the first round and is a little bit older than what the Packers normally take in a first round player. You know, he's 24, which, you know, obviously to me is not old, but he he's a little bit older than what the Packers normally do in, a, in the first round. So he doesn't have that steep of a learning curve like a lot of them, a lot of the Packer rookies do. He's so far being underwhelming. I know there's some guys out there that do like film study and whatever, have said that he's put together some good snaps but like i said he was inactive this game i think he had five snaps was it yeah something something like that yeah very little single digit snaps for sure yeah so at a position where we you know all all hands on deck it's not good to see your first round pick do nothing yeah, I think that's something that will that's that's something that, that we're going to follow over the course of the season. Is kind of how this these first round picks, like the pretty unorthodox first round picks for for the Packers drafting history history anyway. Pretty. I hate to say, it, Quay hasn't even really been looking great. I mean, he's moving to the ball and he's making tackles, but sometimes he just looks lost out there. And I mean, yeah, I I never expected him to be all that great this season. Is a, is, a, is a linebacker, is a rookie, and he was never really a super mentally dominating guy in, in, uh, like, kind of in the way that Devin Lloyd is a very, very intelligent player. I think Quay was never oh, that I... guy who was going to step on and be you know, super solid right from the get-go. Well, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's supposed to go out there and be Superman, but I, I'm just saying that he's even kind of struggling. Yeah, yeah. To, so does that go back to the coaching does that go back to the preparation during the week? You know, is that communication out on the field? You know, what do they need to look at to fix some of this stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's something that that's something that we're gonna that we're gonna be keeping a close eye on throughout the course of the season. 
Very close. Um, <laughs> and now that we've gotten that over with, we've uh, let all the negative energy out of our bodies. <laughs> I don't know. There's still a it, lot there, but we're in a time crunch, and I don't want to force too much. <laughs> For now, anyway, let's um let's just finish up by talking about this upcoming Jets game. Um, it's this is the first game, the floor versus the floor. Um, is OT it? versus head coach. Yeah, Mike LaFleur. Um, he was, you know, I think a lot of people were kind of following this over the offseason. Um, Mike LaFleur was supposed to be our OC originally, but Shanahan blocked him when he was still coordinating for the 49ers. So well, yeah, never... so this wouldn't be the first matchup against each other, would it? Because Lef- uh, Mike was out in San Francisco. But he wasn't play calling, though. This time he's in control oh, of the okay. offense. I see what you're getting at. Um, so it's been really cool. Exactly, but I mean, like you know, this like if you actually you really watch this um, Jets offense, they really it's it's funny because you know everyone always talks about how Lafleur doesn't get to do fully what he wants on offense because Aaron Rodgers is there kind of changing things a little bit, which is which is which is definitely not necessarily bad a lot of the time I will say, but I think because these two brothers think very similar in a lot of ways, and they both come from the Shanahan tree, not the McVeigh tree, in my opinion. It's, they're, they're both guys who learned from Shanahan. Um, they they have a very similar style in a lot of ways, and you see kind of maybe almost what LaFleur, what Matt LaFleur really wants to do with this offense, kind of going through Zach Wilson, lesser degree Joe Flacco, and with maybe a less solid foundation, a lot of the the DVOA and the efficiency stats and the percentage of like the concepts that they run are actually quite similar in some areas. So it's really funny. It's kind of almost like a bit of a reflection of Lafleur's own kind of mentality on a different team with different stuff. Well, and I think that's where you can say the players bought into the system. And I think, not to keep beating this dead horse, but I, I think that's where the struggle is in green Bay is Rogers doesn't want to buy into the system fully. So the full Matt LaFleur offense isn't getting run the way it should. But like you said, in with the jets, it seems like the players are buying in and (laughs) the milf hunter, Zach Wilson has, you know, even though he's been hurt, you know, the games that he has been coming in and playing, He's looked better than he did last year. So, you know, it it makes you wonder what would happen if Rodgers would actually buy into the LaFleur system. I think we'd have two or three Super Bowls right now if if (laughs) Rodgers would just (laughs) quit the fucking ego trip. Sorry for the language, people. But just cut the damn ego trip out and buy into the damn offense. Uh, why don't we go ahead and move on to your next point, Nick? Yeah, I think yeah. I, I was going to touch on what you just said about the Super Bowls. I think you know, if if any one of these things goes right, which is special teams, Bakhtiari doesn't get injured, um, the offense maintains its level of success. The O-line does not get absolutely fucking ramshackled into some weird configuration. I think if, if any one of those things go right, I think we have at least, least one Super Bowl in the past two years, which is so right, heartbreaking to think but, about. <laughs> you know, 
but the thing is, is last year, and I, like I said, we need to move on to the next topic, but last year, if you look at it, with the 49ers, the defense did its job and held them to almost, you know, what, 14 points, 10 points? Yeah. Where okay. was our offense? You know, yeah. this vaunted offense, our NFL or our MVP caliber quarterback couldn't get anything done. Now, granted, the weather was a problem, but, you know, he focused in on one on one guy and that was it. I mean, when you've got Devontae Adams, your star receiver, which he should get as many catches as he wants, your next highest receiver was Aaron Jones. There's a problem. Yeah. So, uh, I think, you know, yeah, like I, I said, yeah, we probably <laughs> should move on because, like I said, these are it's more rants. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, yeah. The, 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 it's, I think coming off the back of this Giants game, playing a quarterback who, admittedly, Daniel Jones probably played the best game of his career last this, this, this week. Um, but coming off a quarterback who is not necessarily elite, <laughs> um, Another another quarterback we're playing this week, Zach Wilson. Not necessarily elite, you know. I don't want to say anything less than that to jinx it, but this is a guy that the Packers defense should be able to take advantage of. He's a guy that's still young. He doesn't really know what his limits are just yet. He's he has a big arm. He's going to throw the ball down the field at least a couple times, and I think we need to be able to take advantage of that. As he said, just like one interception would be nice you know one turnover of some species would be nice just like you just you know if we're gonna if we're gonna if we're gonna be serious about this if we're gonna make adjustments and get better we just start small and play right play well don't get lazy you know don't think that just because he's a young quarterback you just it's gonna be super easy this defense needs to get serious and slowly aim for positive progress just one turnover. Don't let him roast you, which we have the corners to deal with. Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore. You know, this is a team that wants to attack us with their running game, as we saw last week. They have a they have a, a relatively decent O-line. Um, Elijah Barry Tucker is playing very well at the moment. Kind of a bit of a Elton, Elton Jenkins light kind of player. Um, I just want us to see, you know, the areas where we can, with areas where we excel, find our identity and take advantage of the quarterback who's going to throw some balls out there. This has a trap game written all over it, considering how <laughs> the Packers played against the Giants. Because if you look at it, we're coming into very similar conditions. We've got a young quarterback who, you know, like you said, it's going to make his mistakes. He's still finding his groove, whatever, but he's also a bit mobile. We've got a young running back who, while hasn't put up the stats of a Saquon Barkley, is still, you know, what, I think he's in the early rookie of the year conversation right now. Yeah. I. It's going to be tough. I, I don't want... After thinking that there's no way the Packers could lose against the Giants and thinking it was going to be a running away, a runaway against the Patriots. I, I don't want to get too cocky 
going against the Jets. It, it, it's really going to be interesting to see how the Packers rebound after the London game. I, I'm really hoping somebody on the team steps up and does something, you know, a players only meeting or some shit like that to get things jump started. Mm. So I, it's going to be another chess match. I think the Jets coach is Saleh, right? Robert Saleh. Mm-hmm. Robert Saleh, yeah, he's good. And he's more of a defensive-minded coach, isn't he? Yeah, he was the DC for the 49ers before he left. Right. So it's going to be one of those chess matches versus, you know, again, where LaFleur, you know, head coach versus head coach, who's going to out, who's going to make the right adjustments for their team. I hate to say it, but I think it's going to be another close one. No, I definitely think it is too. Did you see what the what the Jets did this past week? I um, granted backup quarterback, but they put up forty points against a, like a legitimately like decent team, like probably a top third of the league team. Um, in the Dolphins, you know, it might have been different if Tua was starting. Just the fact that they have the firepower to do that. You know, you you need, you need to be wary of that, and a lot of the like all I think five of their touchdowns were on the ground, right? So it's something we need to be conscious of, and we we, we can't let them take advantage of us. You know for a fact that Mike Lafleur has seen all these crossing routes, and you know he's going to try and take advantage. He's salivating. Of that. Exactly, like this is like this and is he's what got the players on. to do it. He's got exactly. the players to do it. He can send Elijah Moore. He can send Garrett Wilson. He can send Corey Davis. I, he can send Brace Hall if he wants to. Like they can I'm run right. Brace all day. So, I, and I'm trying to think: do the the Jets have a tight end worth? A CJ Ozoma. They signed him from the Bengals this year. Okay, you know, I, I just yeah, you can just believe. You can just sit there and imagine. Mike LaFleur is just salivating at getting the chance to do all these crossing routes and knowing unless Barry does something, they're not going to stop him. Yeah. I mean, just because they have not, like, you know, like, like, as, as you talked about this kind of shifting landscape of the NFL, we can't let, you know, you know <laughs> as if I'm on the team, you can't let, t- let these teams that have traditionally not been as good, you can't let these teams you know, do what they want and just because you, you run on the assumption that they're not going to be as good as you think they are. You know, they, they, they still have guys and like, you know, NFL is all about the matchups and on a game, on a game to game basis, you know, any given Sunday, anyone can win. Um, it's just about, you need to play the guys that are in front of you and you need to be smart about it. You can't just sit in a zone all day and then not change anything when you get ripped. You know, you can't just, can't just you know keep throwing to, to to receivers who aren't open. You can't just just do RPOs. You know you need to adapt to the people like that are in front of you, and you need to be, need to be smart about it. You know, um, and I have faith that Lafleur is going to continue his streak of not losing two games in a row. Um, but it's going to be a close one. It's going to be a very close one, I think. Well, you know, to quote one of my favorite movies, Moneyball. You know, adapt or die. And exactly. right now the Packers are dying and <laughs> <laughs> they're not adapting. They're definitely dying. Yeah. So 
you know, some changes. I, I know that's been the common thing amongst of what we've said tonight. It, there's got to be changes. Yeah. And just to finish up on this on this matchup, the, 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 the clash of the twin brothers, do you want to cover your over-unders for this week? Top three. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to go through and decide which ones we're wanting to do here. Yeah. I, I, the first one I'm going to say definitely is over under 13 carries for Aaron Jones. <laughs> uh, I said it at 13 being generous, but as we've seen, he's not been getting a ton of them. Um, <laughs> I would, s- I'm going to let you go first. Cause I got to think on it for, for a minute. I um I said this to you before we started recording, but I I laughed at how low the number was, and then they kind of set in that that was actually quite a realistic number, um, thirteen carries for Aaron Jones. I it's it has to be over. I think I I, I is it thirteen carries or thirteen touches? Thirteen carries, because you know he's going to get involved in the mm. passing game. I think it's like this is actually yeah this number. It's is a hard one. Like that's what I, I. That's that's I. So I hate that it's so low, but I hate that it's still so difficult. Look, I'm gonna say over, but only by like one or two, just given the context. Um, the, like the, the the Jets do have like a legitimate group of guys at D line, and you know CJ Mosley is there at linebacker. Um, you know obviously like barring some like some of the injuries and, you know, maybe guys aren't playing to their full potential, et cetera. But I think this is a, a team that you want to try and exploit some of the rookies. I mean, you know, Source Gardner is playing well, but as a rookie, I think, you know, it, 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 theoretically, I think the coaches are going to aim to kind of throw it a little bit more and they're still going to run the ball like you have to. But um, I think it's going to be a similar situation where they're going to be throwing in favor- favorable looks more often than not. All right. Well, I'm going to go different with you just to make it make it more exciting. I'm going to go under, <laughs> and I'm going to predict that he's going to go probably nine carries. And then in the press conference, we're going to get another, well, why did Aaron Jones only get nine carries? And LaFleur is going to pull the, well, you know, the matchups just weren't there. But, you know, I know we need to get him more carries, and hopefully we can in the next game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would not be surprised either way. What's the next one? Um, I'm gonna take this one out, even though I should probably leave it in in favor of the other one. But I'm gonna go twenty and a half points for the New York Jets. Mm-hmm. Over or under? Over. Over instantly. Over. The, you're gonna think you think the Jets are gonna score more than twenty and a half. If if Darius Slayton was running all over us, if their one weapon, theoretically, Saquon Barkley, had no issue running all over us, I have no reason to believe that the Jets, who just dropped 40 on a good Dolphins team, is, is going to be held to just 20 points. I hate to say it, but this defense has not shown that it's good enough to do that just yet. 
especially on the type of players that these guys have. These these smaller, shifty guys, these good route runners. If things continue the way that they have been, the Jets are easily going over there. Okay, well then I'm going to go under, just to keep things... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and this is why I'm going to say that, because you make a good point. You know, Jets have scored so many points in these games... But you know just as well as I do, there's a lot of parody in the NFL. And it they call it any given Sunday. And I just have this feeling that this is the game that we're going to sit here and think, oh, yeah, they're going to – it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a slugfest. It, it's going to be a slobber knocker. <laughs> um, and then it's going to come out and Zach Wilson's going to throw, like, three interceptions and and you know there's going to be like two or three fumbles and whatever yeah so i'm gonna go under it might not be by much but i do think it will go under with the way the rest of the league has been going i mean it would not i would not be shocked if what you said happens exactly you know it wouldn't surprise me one bit and you know if you think about it, the Packers really haven't been giving up tons of points. So, you know, it, a lot of it's going to depend on what the offense can do. Yeah. Yeah. And, if, they and, you can know, give and, the, if they can give the defense some time to rest and breathe, yeah. it might make things different. And that's it, right? You know, this, like, the, like, the fact that the Giants ran the longest drive of the year on their defense absolutely did not help things you know those guys the guys were gassed well my last one is just kind of a novelty one and i kept it in just because it's <laughs> it's interesting considering the story behind it you know outside of some touch passes and some wide receiver screens He's not been getting any kind of looks. Um, so I went over under two catches two catches for Christian Watson. And this is all key, also keeping in mind that he suffered a tweak of a hamstring, hamstring mm. in the Giants game. So there is a question mark whether or not he's going to play, play anyway. Yeah, look, I mean, if he plays, I'm I – mean, a tap pass counts as a catch. A toss counts as a catch. So <laughs> I'm going to go over. I don't know. I really don't. I, I'm, I'll <laughs> say over too. But, you know, it's kind of it's kind of interesting that he's not – ever since the drop that he had in Minnesota, we've not seen any deep passes to him. It's all been touch passes, end arounds. Uh, screen passes there's been nothing deep to him ever since he dropped the very first pass in minnesota yeah it's a shame and i think this is a good opportunity for him to do that you know and it should have been a good good opportunity last week i mean you had nick mcleod covering as a starting corner by the end of the game so i'm think... gonna get me started on rants again <laughs> um yeah i think I think this is a perfect opportunity for, for Watson to get some real receiver reps. And I think you know, part of it is also that it's difficult to get reps over, you know, like when he is so good at what he does 
as a decoy, as that kind of jet guy. Um, it's hard to want to take him out of that role sometimes when you have Cobb, Lazard, Dobbs kind of operating so well over him. But I think it's a good opportunity. I think he does need to get more involved actually catching the ball, actually playing receiver. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, I think, I think, I think he definitely has the ability to do that. And I think by the end of the game, whether that's just, you know, one more little, little, uh, toss and one more, you know, little, little, uh, little under route, I think he'll, he'll have two catches. All right. I got one more thing and it's not an over and or under it's a yes or a no. And you can expand on it or not, but after seeing what happened against the Giants and Amari Rogers being taken off return and Christian Watson being put back there, do we see Samari Torre activated for the Jets game? Mm. That's a really good one, actually. I think if Watson is not on the field, if Watson's out with injury, I think yes. Because Winfrey is not returning the kicks. And they clearly do not trust Amari for good reason. And um, even just for the kick returns, solely for kick returns, I think um, Samori would be would be would be good at that. It, it's going to be interesting to see. And I know they they've left him off the active uh, game day roster all season, so it'd be interesting to see if they activate him for this game for that reason. Yeah. And I would love to see him get activated and just go off and, you know, couple kick returns for decent yardage, but also go for like five catches and 110 yards. And because I, I really think even though his ceiling isn't the highest, his floor is high. Yeah, I think he can definitely find the role. It's basically like kind of like a, a slightly more juiced up Malik Taylor, but a bit more production in the passing game. I think he, he, can, he can kind of do that kind of thing. I mean, it's kind of a bad, I, like not not as in the style that Malik Taylor plays, but as in Malik Taylor's role on the team as, you know, a special teams guy and can fill in a receiver when you're in a pinch. I think Jure is perfectly capable of doing that. We'll see. We'll see. It'll be interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's all from us, guys. We went, it was a pretty long one today, but um, I guess we had a lot to try and digest for better or for worse. Um, it's, you know, we're already five games into the season. You know, it, it goes fast when it finally gets here. And, um, you know, it's probably not exactly what we expected or hoped for. But, I mean, for me, I am just an absolutely disgusting, diehard fan of football, even if it's going poorly. You know, I'm always going to ride it out, and it sucks to watch. You know, when your team loses to the, to the goddamn Daniel Jones-led Giants, but you know, this might just be the kick up the butt that they need to start improving and to ask themselves some questions. But yeah, I think that's probably about all that either of us can really stomach talking about this week. Um, thanks for listening again, guys. You can, as always, you can find us on Twitter at NicholasGRGR and at Iowa underscore Joe eighty six. Until next time. See you later.